Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston. If you haven't yet and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rate and review. It helps us out immensely. It makes us a lot more visible and gives us a leg up on the competition. And we're hammering them anyway for the most part, except for maybe one or two shows. (laughs) But help us do it more by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Joining me tonight, finally for a regular show, I think it's been well over a week since we've had a, a full crew on here, Job Goddard, Andrew Dwan, how are you guys? I'm doing great. I'm excited to have, this is the midweek crew, so I'm excited for the rest of the season, for the three of us, you know, and uh, hopefully cover some winning series. <laughs> It's spring, baby. It's 68 degrees in Denver today. Short t-shirt weather. It's baseball time. (laughs) We just wrapped up a a real cold snap. Temperatures in Maine, and I think much of New England were in the uh, single digits yesterday with the wind chill. Yeah, it's going to be a a balmy uh, 30 degrees tomorrow uh, up here. So, (laughs) yeah. And... uh, Tuesday, heat wave on Tuesday, 46 degrees. So uh, getting there. See, I've lost a lot of weight, and I'm I'm looking forward to walking to work. I have like a 35-minute walk. It's perfect, you know, just long enough to, you know, know that you got to walk in. So, And it's great in the morning because I can check, you know, stats, stories from the game from the night before, all that. So I, I kind of I miss that. And I'm so excited we're going to have a full 162. But getting right into it, I guess we'll dive right into the pitching. Uh, some stuff to like, some stuff to keep an eye on. Uh, Nathan Avoldi uh, got the first start in the first game, if you want to call it that. I think it was a seven inning game. Uh, one and one third innings, two hits, two earned runs, walked one, did strike out two. Garrett Richards scuffled, scuffled excuse me, a little bit more, uh, went two innings, gave up three hits, two earned runs, walked two, struck out one, and I think he needed the mercy rule one inning <laughs> to get out of it, he which did, yeah. you can do if you, uh, if you pitch 20 pitches in spring training, uh, you can... If, essentially end the inning. So uh, any concerns with those two scuffling just a little bit? No, not for me. Um, especially we know where we're going to get out of Evaldi. His vol- his velocity was at 98, 99. Um, Richards, his stuff looked good. He was just missing, uh, especially in the first inning. The second inning, he got it under control. Um, the first inning, Defense didn't help him. I know J.D. Martinez was an absolute mess in the field. The guy had him in rounded third, and he couldn't throw the guy out of the plate. So that he, he did him no favors. But the second inning looked pretty good. Um, I was happy to see that. So I, as long as they get through healthy, I think we kind of know what to expect with these two guys at least. Joe, uh, I hate to be one of those guys, but I don't care what the results are in spring training. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the first, at least the, the first three times through in spring training, each pitcher gets usually four. 
I could care less. I just want these guys to get through healthy, get stretched out, be ready to give us at least five innings every start. I'd love to see six. I don't think we'll see it from these guys. But, um, you know, I want these guys to be ready to throw 100 pitches in, in April instead of maybe in May. So I don't really care. But what I did like was some of Evaldi's stuff looked electric just like it did last year. Um, he didn't pitch all that great, but the movement on his pitches was fantastic. And uh, the same for actually Garrett Richards. I thought his control issues were very clear, but that could just be shaken off the rust. His pitches were moving well, and uh, he's you know starting to develop some chemistry with, with the staff. So it'll be important. Yeah, Richards is a bigger unknown. He hasn't pitched a full season in quite some time. Jerry Remy kept saying, many years. And... <laughs> It was just funny. That means Jerry didn't do his research. <laughs> He's like, I don't have the stat sheet or the intern in front he, of me, so we'll just go with the safe number here. He kept saying, yeah, he, he just kept saying he was a good pitcher for the Angels many years ago and is trying to work out some control problems. So <laughs> out of the two, I mean, he's the he's the interesting one. We know what we're getting with Evaldi. Like you guys said, it was nice to see the velo inevitably he'll spend at least a month on the injured list for whatever reason last season it was a lower body thing so but you know Valdi is who he is um so yeah so the next two pitchers uh a, a little bit more fluid Martin Perez two innings pitched uh, only gave up one hit walked nobody struck out two Nick Pavetta not too bad either. Two uh, innings pitched, gave up one hit, which was a solo shot, but also walked nobody and recorded a strikeout. Anything, uh, any observations from those two? Uh, I think for me, it's kind of a sad observation, but it is. Martin Perez is already becoming my favorite pitcher on the staff, and the only reason for that is we know what we're going to get. We're going to get five innings. Maybe five, maybe five and two thirds if we're lucky, of two to four runs, and he's going to throw a hundred pitches. And the fact that I can count on that just gives me a sigh of relief. So it's good to see that he hasn't really, you know, taken a big step back uh, in the off season, and it's good to see him back in a Red Sox uniform. I didn't think we were going to when they declined his option. I'm, I'm glad he's back. Back at a discount too. Um, yeah, Perez's start. I was really happy about that when I was watching it the other day. He was missing bats. Um, I expected him to get hit for a couple of earned runs, but there was no real good contact off him. And the same was uh, could be said for Pavetta today. The guy did hit a ro- absolute rocket to right center field, but other than that, everything was pretty soft. The only other guy that reached base was, I think, on an error to the shortstop, who not too sure who was playing at that point. Um but he looked solid, and his velocity was sitting around 95 and a half, 96. And last year, he topped out at 94. So uh, if that's going to be what are you going to get all year, that's great. Uh, that that deal is looking amazing because, I mean, is Hember even in the league? And Workman was a nothing guy for the Cubs now. So, yeah, I, th- that was very encouraging to see. And I think Pavetta – He's going to have to earn that last spot in the rotation, no no doubt about it, but he's well on his way. 
Well, who's left? I mean, we haven't seen Rodriguez pitch yet, so we know he's going to be in the yeah. rotation. But Evaldi say I think it's health, right? I think I think it's him and health. And I, I don't think they want health in the rotation at the beginning of the year, but um, – Well, I, I was actually reading some concerning stuff, Andrew, that Alex Cora wants to go to a six-man rotation for the first month. Um, I, I don't know actually which beat writer put that out there, but Brad also had mentioned it on the YouTube as something that he was reading as a possibility just to stretch guys out further and, and not put so much pressure on their arms early. That makes me concerned because I don't even think yeah. we have five good pitchers. Well, I think when you're looking at a six-man rotation, your sixth guy is going to be a Whitlock or a Matt Andrees, um, like a three-inning kind of opener and then figure it out from there. But I did see the numbers the other day, um, all the guys on an extra day rest, and their ERA actually takes a hit when they get that extra day rest. So I, I really don't want that to be the case. I can see their reasoning behind it in the first month, especially in the cold weather up in Boston. We know how that we know how that feels. It's not great on your arm. And these guys, it's been a weird training program for them yet again and a weird year last year. So I understand the caution with the with the arms, but at the end of the day I would like to see a five man rotation. You know, it's interesting because they have April 2nd off, which is right after opening day. They always build that in for some reason every year. And then they have April 9th off, and then they don't have another day off until May 3rd. So it's going to be a pretty uh, pretty busy month of April. I, I feel like last year there were tons of off days in April and there was no need for a, a sixth guy. So that's interesting. And Andrew, you do bring up Hauk, which is interesting. And he does make sense to be the one guy who could kind of fight his way into that rotation, even if it is a five-man there were reports earlier that he would start the season in Worcester, but Alex Cora did say uh, within the last couple of weeks that it is possible he could start uh, in the rotation to start the year. I mean, if he earns it and forces his way on there, I'm I'm all for it. Um, if not, how maybe a guy, and I didn't really want to talk about him yet, but a guy like Connor Siebold, who he, he was amazing. So, I don't know. I I think it would be how ideally maybe stretch Whitlock out a little bit more, Ernie Andrees. I don't know. I, it would be very interesting to see what Bloom and Cora do draw up for that kind of strategy. Because right now I could make guesses, but it would just be, you know, thrown blind at a dartboard. How? I think we all would be, but the guy that I, I've been most impressed by has been Whitlock so far. I know he only had that one start, and I don't know what your thoughts are on him, Terry, but as far as I was concerned, he seems to have control of his pitches. I know he hasn't been healthy because he missed last season with Tommy John, um, but if you're going to miss a season with Tommy John, I mean, Alex Corey even said it on that on the ESPN broadcast, if you're going to miss a season with, for Tommy John, last season was the one to do it, um, and he looks like he's now healthy. Hopefully he can be the pitcher the Yankees thought he was going to be prior to the Tommy John. If that's the case, I think we have a, a decent chance at, at him being a number four arm on this team. 
I haven't seen him, uh, admittedly. I do have his lineup here. I mean, he's pitched two innings, walked nobody, and struck out two. So um, I know, Andrew, you've been impressed with him, and I've seen postings on social media. What are the chances, though, that, that he would be in the rotation? I was just trying to research the last Rule 5 guy to – actually start in a rotation because I'm trying to think I don't the only it's not too common for a starter to be selected in the rule five draft I we all know Johan Santana was one of those guys but I don't know he I think he was even out of the bullpen at first so it would be pretty unprecedented unless they were only asking him to be in opener situation and then you bring in the injuries and then you know guys a b and c after that i i it would be a great sign if they felt confident enough in him to start but that, that's asking him a lot to come off for a missed year and then be like hey <laughs> here come the mets so <laughs> give us what you got it just seems to me like a lot needs to happen for him to wind up in the rotation i mean if I agree. If Richards just needs more time to figure it out, maybe maybe he doesn't start. Um, if Pavetta scuffles a little bit, I mean, he's a, a mystery right now anyway. And it's nice to see a couple miles an hour uh, more on his fastball, but still, you know, we, we still need to see, you know, some consistency. But I think that's the case for everybody in the rotation, though, Terry. I mean, we need consistency. The only person we even know is going to be consistent at this point is going to be hopefully Eddie Rodriguez is done with the mitocardiosis, right? And then we know what Martin Perez is, and he's not exactly a stud. He's, he's great because he's going to give you five innings every fifth day. And but other I, than that, I mean, we have question marks all across the board. Well, Evaldi, I, I can't see any scenario in which he won't be in the rotation, um, even if he is scuffling. I just feel like he can still go five innings and, and whatnot. A couple observations. I think Martin Perez is going to pitch the most innings this year. Is that a fairly safe bet? I think so because he's the most dispensable guy. Um, I don't know how many innings it takes for his option to kick in, but I don't think they're too worried about that. I've, I mean, I've been saying to you for, a while now. I don't see any of these guys going over 160 innings. I think they're going to use all their depth and all their long guys. And a phrase they've been using all winter long is the utility pitcher, which that's not something we've ever seen before. So if they're going to have two or three guys that can go three to four innings and just eat every single game, they're going to keep the wear and tear off in these unprecedented uh, circumstances that we're seeing where guys, um, I forget who threw the most innings last year, but it was only like 80. That's unheard of. So I, I really don't – I think they're going to spread the innings out. I, I don't see a guy going over like 25 starts. Yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, if somebody does, I, I feel like it would likely be him. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I totally agree. Yeah. If Yeah, I think, you know, he's the only one under contract – or not under contract, rather, after this season, if I'm correct. I know Andrew's been a big fan of – paying attention to that, who's under contract and how they're going to be used and stuff like that. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a lot of it's going to depend, I think, on how the team is doing. But if, you know, we're not in it or we're not in the hunt for it come August, I wouldn't be surprised if they're leaving him out there to get shelled. 
he, like Andrew said, he's indispensable. And the guy's been a horse anyway throughout his career. Uh, so I just feel like there, there's just not going to be a ton of concern there. Here's another observation. How big of a stretch would it be if Tanner Houck ends up being the best pitcher in the rotation by the end of the year? I think we'd be doomed if that were the case. Honestly, so? I think we'd be like, so who's the number one overall prospect in this draft? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that'd be a good idea if Tanner Houck is. I don't even know if they're fully set on him being a starter at this point. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think um, I think my prediction of like 85-ish wins would be down the toilet if Tanner Houck was our best pitcher. <laughs> I, do, I just think the ceiling could be pretty high. That That's a really nasty slider. And if you can get a change up in there, I just feel like even if Perez, Pavetta are around a four ERA, Evaldi's probably going to be two. His career average is above that. I mean, if those three are keeping us in games, I just wouldn't be shocked if Hauk ends up being the guy who emerges. I really don't. You know, I I don't have much in terms of expectations for Trevor Hauk, and I don't think the Red Sox do either. Um, which is why they went out and signed a bunch of, frankly, bottom-of-the-barrel starting talent. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the upside shows up. You know, He could very well turn into a good pitcher. If he's the best in the rotation come September, we're in deep trouble, and our team is probably, like like Andrew said, we're, we're right down there with the Orioles as far as some of the worst teams in baseball. But that's probably – he could be the number three guy on this team. You know, I think we're expecting Sale back at some point after the All-Star break. Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be, hopefully, what he has been in the last two years, which is a solid two, maybe a three-pitcher on, on a good team. And after that, we have question marks across the board. You know, Evaldi's health is always an issue. He always misses a month here, a month there. And he is really good for five innings, and then after that, he falls apart. So if, if Hout can show up and pitch six quality innings every fifth day, he could very easily be in the conversation for a top half of the rotation. I just wouldn't be shocked if he has a low three ZRA. And I, I don't expect anyone, and even Andrew, who's more optimistic than any host of this podcast, I I mean, you're probably not expecting guys to be necessarily in the low threes to, to get to 86, 87 wins. No, I, for me, I see Tanner Houck as like a low fours, high threes in his best career year kind of guy. If he is a starter full time, I just, I don't, I think guys will get used to him second time through the order. Um, they protected him. They really did protect him when he came up last year. They avoided like having the, having him face the Rays because they would have thrown that funky, like all right handed batters against him and, I just, I don't know. I I like how, but the thought of him being our best pitcher this year gives me uh, gives me some pretty bad feelings. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. We're we're on different ends of the spectrum, I, I guess. But I just I really like the swagger that I saw last year. Um, so we'll we'll see. We'll see. But he's he's the most intriguing guy to me uh, going forward. 
and he's definitely the most intriguing to me too. I just I'm kind of with Andrew that I think ceiling is relatively lower than what you're what you're saying, Terry. I think his ceiling is probably a high threes guy, three eight, three seven would be you know ideal for him if you can get 160 innings out of him. Mm-hmm. Is probably what you're gonna look for this season. If that's our best pitcher, we're not gonna do go anywhere in September. You know, if we get that and he's our number three guy or our number four guy, then we're in good shape. So if he's low threes, I'll be shocked, but I will be pleasantly surprised. Well, I, I mean, here's – and before we move on, I mean, we don't have an above a three guy in the rotation outside of sale. Well, maybe Rodriguez. And, and if Erod's the best pitcher, then that, that'll be a great story. But – but I mean, Richards. I think he's going to pitch the fewest innings of anyone, but he does have decent numbers in, in previous years, even in his abbreviated years. So he could have a, an ERA closer to three, more so than closer to four. You know, lower threes. But Avoldi uh, and Perez are going to be close to four or, or a little above it, and. Pavetta's a mystery. I I think he might have some decent upside if if he can get consistent. But at face value right now, I just don't think he's going to flirt with with the lower threes. So I just I'm, I'm expecting big things from Erod this year. I mean, if his heart you know if his heart condition really did blow over, you're looking at a whole year with no innings on his arm at all and. He's shown you some flashes of brilliance and then some flashes of inconsistency. But overall, he's turned into a pretty good big league arm. And I think anytime you give a guy uh, this a guy's arm a break and he's not going under the knife for Tommy John, these guys always come back and the next season they, they pitch pretty dominant. And this is a contract year for him too, right? I think so, yeah. It might be next so, year, but I'm not totally no, sure. It, this, my head. He's a free agent after this year. I think he's making eight. So he's picked. Eight. That's when you know you're gonna get the best. So he's, <laughs> he's pitching to a uh, two eight. You know that that's the goal for him is I'm gonna pitch to a, a low a low threes a high twos, and I don't think it's gonna happen, but it could easily happen. These guys in their last year of a contract or in year going into free agency, they always turn it up a notch. His best season so far, I think, is a three point nine six. So even if it's a 3.20, that's far and away going to be his best season. I'm not worried about the health. I think if he was having issues with that, they probably would have cropped up by now. He's had a clean bill of health, you know, as far as, you know, medical professionals go. To me, it's just the consistency. How rusty is he going to be? Because even his best year was, was – 2019 and he he got knocked around the first month or so of that year so um i'm just looking for what he's gonna do from a performance standpoint and if he does have that huge career year it's (laughs) just gonna make for an interesting winter next year because i mean look at the look at the rotation we're gonna have next year we're gonna have chris sale for for a full season. This is hopefully without a strike, which is far from a certainty, but just assuming it'll be normal. Um, 
you're going to have Sale. You're going to have Hauk for the whole year. You're probably going to have Seabold for the whole year. You're going to have Pavetta still. So I don't, I mean, what are the Evaldi. chances, Evaldi, for one more year as well? I, I would put Evaldi in the bullpen at that point. I mean, you're looking at a lot of young arms. Evaldi might turn into a, a closer at that rate. You know, he could double his or extend his career by a lot if you move into a closer role. He still has the velocity for it. If, if you have all the young guys pitching, you go sign one guy, Evaldi could easily be flexed to the bullpen. Yeah, I still don't know. I mean, what what's an Erod contract going to look like? It's probably going to be a two or three year deal in the twelve to fifteen range. Erod? Oh, I, I think Erod's going to want five at ninety. You think? I don't know get about five much? at ninety, but I would say he'd probably get three at thirty five. That's so. That's nothing though. I if the money's all right. I mean, we're looking at got that uh, fans being in the stadium this year. I think it's going to be five eighty or five to ninety because that's only eighteen million a year. That's not a lot of money, especially in this day and age. That's barely over. Uh, actually, it's under the qualifying offer, and he's uh, going to be a sub thirty year old pitcher who is well, not a sub thirty year old pitcher who hasn't really succeeded on a year in year out basis yet. I mean, if he does it this year, okay, but his you know his best seasons are three eight. What you know, was Nate Valdi's best season, though? I mean, we gotta think. We gotta throw this whole last off season into the wind because the money. Well, I didn't, even, I didn't even count. I didn't even count this off season. I'm just thinking. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like in a normal year, a, le- a younger lefty who has a track record that that goes for a lot of money. <laughs> I mean that that's fair. I think you know his track record isn't as good as we make it out to be because we have in our mind 2019 where he was pretty good and the team was not, he was kind of a bright spot every fifth day, but you know, I don't think necessarily people are going to look at him and be like, okay, like this is going to be the future of our organization. I could be wrong. I mean, Nate Evaldi similar. I mean, his, his best season though is a three, three. Well, so the Evaldi deal, that, that was a terrible signing and the Red Sox outbid themselves to give him that deal. So. Oh, absolutely. That was, I mean, we all know those sweetheart deals they were throwing out to anyone that helped them. I mean, he, he, you knew you were locking him in to like $20 million a year that day. He went out and threw nine innings in the playoffs. Uh, yeah. So it was like, oh, shit, we're going to extend him. But I, left-handed, 28-year-old left-handers don't hit the market that much. Well, they really don't. <laughs> he has to have the best year of his career to get the the range you're putting him in, and I, I mean, I'm, I don't think it's impossible. But I mean, an, an if he has the best year, yeah, I think if he has his career year, he's looking in the twenties. I think that's crazy, Andrew. And the reason I say that <laughs> and, is because Jake Odorizzi's still on the market. You know, think about that's it. Jake a, it's a weird year, though. No, the Red Sox have spent more than the entire NL Central. I mean, okay, it is a weird year, granted, but you look at the way that teams are transitioning, they don't want to give players outside of the Red Sox who just give the dumbest contracts in the last three years. Teams don't want to give players in their 30s big money. They'd rather pay the young guys. You look at the extensions that are going off across the league, like Tatis, and I know Acuna's talking about an extension. And so well, Acuna's got his extension. But Soto's talking extension, and he's a Scott yeah. Boris client. You know, these guys don't – they all want their money now. They want to get paid when they're younger because they realize as they move into their 30s, teams don't want to pay us anymore. You get if, you give, if you give Erod a four-year deal then, 
He's only gonna be thirty-two in his last year, and that's nothing. For okay, but if you give him a four-year deal, you're probably gonna pay him. I would say he's probably worth sixty, sixty-five, and you're gonna have to pay him eighty-five because the market's gonna be. There's a lot of good free agents next season because the market this season was not that high, and next season some of these teams in the NL Central are gonna be spending money. You know, there's gonna be more teams who are they know what their finances are. We're hopefully back in a normal season, assuming there's no work stoppage, which is a big assumption. I know JD Martinez said he'd be shocked if there wasn't a work stoppage. Um, but assuming that you have a normal off season next year, a lot more teams are gonna be spending. So he might get overpaid, but I don't think he's worth that. I, okay, so let, let's frame it this way, because this this really was the original question. Let, let's put him in the higher range. Let's say sixty to eighty. And again, he has to have a really good year, I think, to get there. But let's say sixty to eighty million, four or five years. Does Bloom give him that deal? Does that contract fit in with the Red Sox going forward? I don't think it does. You're on mute. Andrew. I think it does, but only because we haven't had the ability to develop pitching in a long time. The last successful pitcher the Red Sox developed in our own system is John Lester. I mean, he debuted in 2007. He's going to be 38 years old this year. Uh, think about that for just a second. The last good pitcher the Red Sox developed is now 38. So I think you ha- you're in a position where you have to pay Erod just to have some certainty in the rotation. Unless you're going to go out and deal prospects to go get a stud from somebody else, and you know they're not going to do that. They're trying to rebuild the farm system. I wouldn't be surprised if they trade Erod at the deadline if they're not in good shape. I think this team is looking to build more prospects for next year if they're not in good contention. And Erod's going to be a big piece. People are going to be trying to get the Red Sox on the phone about Erod the way that teams used to get calls from the Red Sox at the deadline. It's going to be the opposite. We're going to be sellers at the deadline if we're not good. Erod's going to be our biggest piece. Erod and JD. and JD's contract is too hard to move. Well, Erod will be a Red Sox next year one way or another because they'll give him him the qualifying offer. And because that's only one year, it'll probably be about 19, can, 19 and a half. Can they do that with the CBA coming up? I, I assume know. they will. Okay. I can't see them getting rid of it. I could see them getting rid of, like, the signing team losing a draft pick, but the the team losing the player, I can't see them ever getting rid of compensation for that. I feel like they might raise the compensation for the C, you know, for that, just to make teams less likely to, to use it. And if that's the case, and it's one year at twenty three million, they're not going to pay Erod. Well, I'm saying like I think the I, I can't see them getting rid of like the giving them the comp hit. That would be because you have that in the NFL too. You have, I mean, you get like a third round pick based on what the salary they're sent for. But anyways, I, I either. I can't see them punishing small market teams for losing free agents. So I think a compensatory system will still be in place. So I think Erod will be a Red Sox next year because he'll. I think he'll take the one year at high guaranteed money. And not if he has a good season. You know, we were just talking about it. if he has a career year, he's out. He'll he'll he's not going to take the the guaranteed money. He's going to go get paid. Well, then we get a first round compensation pick. I mean, or they can work something out and. I'm fine with either one of those, but because even if he did take the one year at 19 so million, he's still going to hit the free agent market under his uh, age 30 season. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that's possible. I don't want to get too into the weeds on the Erod contract because I'm sure over the course of the season, depending on how we're doing, it's going to be a big talking point for us. But mm-hmm. the one thing I do like about you know this this team is the fact that we're not going to have to rely, hopefully, on these young guys as much as I thought we were going to. But you know, we'll see. I think Erod probably won't be a Red Sox next year because I think they're going to remove the draft pick compensation. You and I disagree on that. Um, the players hate it. They want to get paid. It's a big sticking point for the players. And if they're not going to shorten the season, if they want to, or if the owners want to add a postseason uh, round or, you know, anything like that, the players are going to stand by the fact they want to get paid. And that's the, the best way for the players to make sure that they make their big paydays. Oh, no, I think we're in agreement there. I do. I think that they will get rid of the penalty for signing a qualifying offer guy or lessen it. But I still think the team that loses that, because you can't have like a team like Baltimore or Colorado, these places that can't attract free agents. You can't have them losing a stud guy for nothing. And, you know, then they're five years without a replacement. Well, just for, I didn't think we were going to get into it, but I, I think we may as well <laughs> at this point. Uh, some notable free agents next year because who, who's to say Bloom doesn't have his eye elsewhere as well? Uh, Zach Grinky. I mean, I know he's going to be 38, but if he's pitching well and it's a one or two year deal, uh, someone's going to give him a, a decent annual salary anyway. So you got Zach Get Grinke. To the What's that? I said, get to the S's. <laughs> uh, Grinky, Verlander, Max Scherzer. So some there we go. Some older <laughs> studs, but then you do have guys like uh, Marcus Stroman that will be out there. Uh, Kevin Gosman, that's not too attractive. Charlie Morton, who knows what his plans will be? Um, I think he's retiring. He could. Uh, Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard will be on the market, so I don't know if that could be. Him, so. That could be a big splash. I I don't know. <laughs> I, who knows? Um, That's another guy that I think if come August they're not in good shape, they'll trade him. Though I think they will be in good shape. I think the Mets are going to be good this year. I think a lot of these guys. Are, I think we're going to see a lot of trading pieces at the deadline because you have teams that already decided they're going for broke, and teams that already decided they're not spending money. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Padres come deadline time, if one of these pitchers that they already, you know, put together is is on the injured list for an extended period of time. If they go out and get another guy, I really wouldn't be surprised. Well, if Erod isn't great, uh, I would hate it if Bloom went after Stroman, but a, a case could be made that that he could target a guy like Stroman. And then who was the other guy? Uh, I just had him. Oh, I, I mean, if we're talking off season, if the Red Sox are going to spend next year, which I think they will, um, if they don't spend it on uh, an infielder, I, I would love to see Scherzer get like two years, forty six million or something like that. That's another great one, and the example I love to use in this instance is when Kurt Schilling came to Boston in two thousand four, thirty seven years old. And was like, yeah, and then because he felt like it, he won a championship with us three years later at uh, age 40 in 2007. So, 
So I, I could see it. And I'm a Grinky guy. I don't care what the weird, funky, you know, scenarios oh, are. Too, same reason. I, I do. I, I just, I, I still don't see him going to a, like, L.A. is some, one thing, but Boston, New York, with his anxiety issues, I don't think it'd be worth it to him at this point of his life. Well, let's see He's how he does. I don't. Houston's going to face the music in the second half of this year, most likely. The number of fans, you're going to see stadiums probably at least a third of the way full, I would say. So let's see how he handles that hostility. You know, even though he I'd wasn't. I'd say more than that, he plays in Texas. It'll be more than that. They're going to have 50% of fans by June 1st. True. <laughs> That's absolutely true. You know, he's not he's not playing in a the most uh, COVID anxious market. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you have some serious booze raining down on the Houston Astros come April and people, you know, they kind of forgave and forgot last season because they couldn't be in the ballpark and it was no fun to, to boo from their couch, but it's going to be really fun. I think to root against the Houston Astros this year with the crowd. Absolutely. So let's uh, get back into the Red Sox. Uh, that was a hell of a freestyle there on Erod, but um, yeah. So Bobby Dahlbeck, three bombs so far, uh, four hits, and three of them have been bombs. So uh, we're seeing the power there. I don't know what kind of baseballs they're hitting. Supposedly they're going to be deadened, uh, you know, at least by the start of the regular season, which I am thrilled about. Um, Kike Hernandez, four for five, also had a blast. Jonathan Arauz, four for eight, couple doubles. Jairo Munoz, uh, five for nine, hit a, hit a home run. So the thing to take away here is eventually we're going to have to fill out our bench and we have so many players that are interchangeable, are basically utility guys. Certain ones have options. Some of them uh, don't. I think Arauz and Munoz are likely not going to start the season with the team. So, so before we dive into that, let's talk about two of the three guys, because Alex Cora did say they're only going to carry three position players on the bench. One of them has to be Kevin Pulecki. You, you know, you're going to, you need a backup catcher. The other one's going to be Marwin yep. Gonzalez. I think we can agree on that. Mm -hmm. So you got one spot left and it could go to a Munoz, an Arauz type guy, but you also have Christian Arroyo who hasn't had a hit yet. He's the one guy who's scuffled a little bit, but a second baseman, and we do have a need there. I know Hernandez will, will see some time there, but he'll also see some time in the outfield if need be. So who's the third bench guy? Uh, so me, I wrote it down. Go ahead, Andrew. Uh, I was going to say, for me, it's easy. It's Arroyo, even if his production hasn't been there. He's the only other legitimate backup shortstop to uh, Xander. They have no one else on the roster. I mean, Aruz was a nice little surprise. He faded out um, the longer and longer the season went on last year. But 
the only reason he was still up was because he was a rule five guy. Now they can give him all the time in the world to develop. They have him under contract for several years now. Um, they'll let him go to the alt site for a month in Worcester, figure it out there. Probably, hopefully, playing Worcester the whole year, honestly. And um, Arroyo will let you platoon with uh, Kiki, and then give Xander a day off, uh, which. Obviously, it's already looking like he's going to need, um, and hopefully he's back by opening day. But for me, those are my uh, three locks, Loeki, then Arroyo, and um, Gonzalez. Yeah. You know, I actually have a totally different take than you do, Andrew, which is refreshing. I feel like we've been on the same page a lot. Um, I wrote it down, and I said this earlier on the YouTube channel, as the three guys that I think are competing for spots for that last one are going to be Arauz, Chavis, and Arroyo. I like Munoz so far. I think he's been electric in spring training. He hustles. I'd love to see him at some point, but he's not on the 40-man roster, and they will not make a corresponding move to add him. He's not a significant enough difference, I don't think, in ability. Marlon Gonzalez could play shortstop in a pinch. Um, so I don't think we have to worry too, too much about whether or not they have a backup shortstop for Xander, because I think we're going to carry Marwin Gonzalez anyway, obviously. So I think that's probably your backup shortstop plan. So I think you're looking at three guys. I think Chavis needs time to fix the fact that he can't hit a fastball anywhere above the letters. He just, he sees it, he lights up and he swings through it every time. Um, so I could see him going down. I have it ranked as Arauz is the most likely person to, to start on the 25-man roster. And after that, I have it ranked as Chavis in case he, you know, figures it out in the next couple of weeks of spring trading and really shows out for something. And then after that, I've got Arroyo. So I actually have it as a totally different structure. We're going to have two of those three guys are going to make it. So I'm excited to see which way they go with it. I think Cora would probably rather send Chavis down, so we're probably going to see a battle between Arroyo and Arrow who's there. Does What are your thoughts, Harry? Does Arroyo have options, though? Do we know this? You know, I actually did not check that. Um, I don't think he does. If he doesn't, then that would change a lot. Yeah, that's, about... that, yeah that was kind of my reasoning behind it. I'm he is out of, sure. yeah. out of options. Um, they'd have to put him through waivers, which I don't think they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because he'll get picked up by somebody. Um, he's good enough for that. So they're going to give him every opportunity to make the team. But I, I just think that the inside track has to be uh, Arrows after he showed up last season and, and played pretty well, I think. And then, you know, Arroyo really hasn't shown you much in the last couple of, you know, couple of chances that he's had. He's a 240 hitter last season in September. He's not even, wasn't even a starter for the Giants when he did that. I, I just don't see why you would want to take him over Arauz, who I think can help you more immediately. But if it's a development thing and you don't want to lose him, then he might have the inside track. Either way, I think Chavis is going down to AAA. I think so too. And quite frankly, I don't even really want him up here anyway. He could catch lightning in a bottle in spring training. I'd rather him get optioned anyway, and if he continues to kill it down there for a month, okay, we'll talk about it. But but he, he can go on these little runs, and I just wouldn't I, – I don't want to disrupt 
anything else going on anywhere in the roster right now to to take a gamble on him when we have the luxury of not worrying about it. We did kind of mention Xander Bogarts there. He hasn't played yet because he has a shoulder uh, soreness. The MRI did not reveal any damage of any kind, according to Hein Bloom. And according to Alex Cora, the reason he is having issues with his shoulder is because apparently down in Aruba, the COVID restrictions are pretty strict and he wasn't able to do certain parts of his throwing program. So he's a little behind and uh, apparently it's sore. They did say they do expect him to be ready by opening day. And like I said, the Providence Journal just today said he is making a little bit of progress. But but let's, let's throw this out there. I'm critical that we may not have enough offense. And I hope I'm wrong. And some of these guys can really step up and, and and I might be wrong, but what if a guy like Bogarts is out for six to eight weeks? I know we have the depth. I mean, we can plug guys in there, but we're not going to get that type of offensive production from any of those guys. You know, I think the real concern about that is if you lose Xander Bogarts, he's the heart of your lineup. I mean, I, I did a projected lineup earlier today i have him hitting fifth um you don't have another hitter with with power like that that has consistency the only other hitter with power in your lineup kind of that's not already slotted in that high would be dahlbeck and dahlbeck strikes out every other at bat you know he's shown some good signs in spring training but anybody who knows anything about baseball knows spring training for the guys who actually matter just to get your arm in and or get your eyes ready for you know, facing big league pitching. These guys are at 60%, maybe 70% um, of the effort. So I don't know. I think Dahlbeck might have to be the answer there at the heart of the lineup if you lose Xander Bogarts a little while. And even then, I don't know that Dahlbeck is ready to face big league pitching every day. He's another question mark. So we'll see kind of how that goes. He's going to be the starting first baseman. He's going to play first base almost every day. Defensively, he looked okay today, but we'll see. Dahlbeck might be a problem too we got question marks kind of everywhere, and that's why we have a bunch of players who can play every position. We're turning into Tampa Bay Rays North. Andrew, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if, if if they lose Bogarts, no team, I don't care how good they are, is situated to, you know, address that. If 2018 Sox would have been pretty screwed if they lost him for like a month, too, you know? Well, the only um, team that could do that is probably the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers. Yeah, have, exactly. You know, studs yeah, everywhere. Embarrassment of riches. <laughs> exactly. So if they lose him for extended period of time, all bets are off the table for me. I, for one, am not overly concerned with the offense. They scored the 11th most uh, runs last year, and I think they had overall the fifth best offense in that was with Devers being absolute trash for what two months and JD batting like hundred and <laughs> Ben and Tendi being on like the side of a milk carton for the entire year. So I I am a little less concerned with the offense, especially if Kiki Hernandez can you know go above and beyond for however long it would take for uh for him to cover uh a portion of Bogart's offense. So, I mean, 
I, I agree with you, Andrew. I mean, Terry, the way that I look at it is that the Red Sox offense is the least of our concerns as far as the Red yeah. Sox go. But I know you're down on the team as a whole, and so am I. So it's still a concern that we share, but it's not something that I rank up there with pitching or, or even defense. I mean, Alex Corn's been talking about defense for the last 10 days since they got to spring training, and we've seen four errors, five errors in the last two games. So, you know, it's it, hitting is down there on the bottom of my list. I wonder what you're thinking about that. Well, I mean, I'm already concerned about six through nine, and if you lose Bogarts, now I'm concerned about five through nine. So um, you can easily make a case that the Yankees are going to have a better offense than the Red Sox in the division, and you can also easily make the case that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to have a better offense than the Red Sox. So, um, so uh, to me, it is pretty concerning if – a guy like Dahlbeck steps up and the strikeouts come down a little bit and you know he gets on base a little more and the power's there, suddenly you have a super dynamic middle of uh, middle of the order. So ho- hopefully it, it shakes out that way, but I just we can't really afford to lose a, a top player, even if it's instead of Bogarts, what if it's Verdugo? It, it's so. Those are my concerns. I uh, just, you know, I think I feel like we're a little. If we lose thin. Verdugo, we're in a much better place to to deal with that. Just by the la- the amount of outfielders that we have, who can step up for an extended period of time. I think you can see runs out of Kike Hernandez that make it look like like he could be Xander Bogarts offensively for ten days, fifteen days, maybe a month, um, and then you'll see you'll see crashes, and that's why he was a utility guy in, in the Dodgers organization for so long. But if we lose Xander Bogarts, I mean, Andrew already alluded to it. We don't have the depth at shortstop, really, to make that happen. Marwin Gonzalez then becomes an everyday shortstop, and you're going to get exposed there offensively and defensively. So he's the the only player, I think, on the offensive side of the ball that if, if he gets hurt, we're in, you know, for an extended period of time, we're in real trouble. Uh, everybody else, I think we can replace fairly easily with all the depth that we've built. Assuming we're fine and. and... Chances are, and we will be. I mean, I, I gave uh, you know a worst case scenario there, but um, but let's move on to this question. Alex Verdugo is gonna most likely be the leadoff guy. I suppose there's a scenario that he could be the number two guy, but just going with him in the leadoff position, who does hit second? Um, I've been pretty strong on this, uh, based off personal opinion and um, like things that Core said a couple times. Now, I think it's Devers. I really do. I think that I don't think they're that worried about the low. Uh, we lost you there for a second, yeah, there, you... Andrew. You you cut you're cutting in and out. Like, so I'm not sure where you're going with that Devers take, but but hold on one second, and we'll try to get you back. It's, it's it's almost like you're on mute, Andrew. I think he is on mute. There we go. Try, try it now. Try that. No, he's having he's having an all right. Issue. He's having audio issues, so we're gonna go with my take first. This is great. I love giving my opinion. Okay, so I actually have Alex Verdugo slotted in as the number two hitter. So for me, the the question is a little different. But if he is gonna lead off, then I think your number two hitter becomes Kike Hernandez. Um, I would prefer to see it go Kike Hernandez, 
Alex Verdugo, J.D. Martinez in the top three. But I think if you, if you have to go with Verdugo at one, Kike at two, and then you go with Devers at three and J.D. at four, I don't think you're losing that much. I think the lineup is going to be very strong in the first five slots as long as they're all healthy. So either way, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. But Terry, what are your thoughts as far as the starting the starting lineup goes? Well, it's funny because we're we're all over the map, and I I know Andrew uh, um, mentioned Cora's comments about Devers hitting second, which is really kind of surprising. But you make an interesting point, though, Joe, because the one through five slots out better if you do lead off a righty. I mean, that's how I look at it. And the reason I say that is because J.D. Martinez has been historically a much better hitter in the three-hole. Um, and so I, li- I like that. And I like the right-left, especially now that the new rule has hitters fa- a pitcher facing three hitters. I think it's like very important that you go righty-lefty for late games. Um, so my ideal lineup has... Verdugo hitting second. And I don't think that you lose a lot by hitting him first. I just would rather have JD hit third than Raphael Devers. But if you have to go that way, I don't think you lose a lot. You know, if you go that way, then you end up with uh, Rafi Devers at three, JD at four, and then you got to move up, you know, one of the lefty hitters a little bit, probably. Um, and you'll go with either, I guess, Renfro at five. That's the, that's the problem with it, right? Is otherwise you're going to have three righty hitters in a row in probably Xander, uh, Vazquez, and, and J.D. will probably be three in a row in the middle of the order if you have. Well, I think Bogarts, you start with a righty. Bogarts would be the fifth regardless. So it would, uh, under your... I mean, you're going to do two righties, you know, but it's, will you have two or will you have three? You know, because the way that I have it written out right now would be Kike, Alex Verdugo, J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, and yeah. then Christian Vazquez. And then you go Hunter Renfro, Bobby Delbeck, and then whoever's playing left field that day, I guess Franchi would be, you know, the starter, but yeah, that's my, that's my starting ideally. One, one through five, just like that gives you the most balance. I feel like, but I just think there's in reality, I, I think there's just too much propaganda out there for Verdugo to come off of that leadoff spot. And I, I think Cora's made similar co- comments, but uh, Andrew, go ahead. Do you think you're uh Good to go. Yeah, sorry about that. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, so like I was saying, Google, thanks, Google. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's Verdugo followed by Devers. It gives Devers a little bit more protection in the lineup, which I like. Um, and then it covers JD at the three spot if Xander is right behind him at four. So that would be my ideal lineup. Like, I don't know if anyone heard it when I was saying it, but I'm not too worried about the left, right, left, right anymore. I think that was, in my opinion, that was more important when you could bring in one guy, your lefty out of the bullpen to face one guy, bring in a righty, bring in another lefty, and then bring in another righty. I, I don't have the same concerns I would have two or three years ago. Before that Interesting. I'm the, the opposite. You know, I feel like now that you have to face three hitters, it's more concerning if you have three righties. You know, If you have a guy who can only get out right-handed pitching, you can put him in, face three righties in a row. He's going to be much stronger you know like that that pitcher if you have to put him in and he has to face jd martinez xander bogarts and Raphael devers is you know much you're much more concerned about 
throwing to those three than you are about throwing to three straight right-handed hitters, in, in my opinion. I feel like you know, a lot of splits show that guys can't throw to both sides of the plate who are relievers. Otherwise, they'd be stuck. No, I get it. You know? So I'm actually more concerned. I, I don't like Devers in the, in the two-hole either, but Cora is outside the box, and that has worked out well in in other aspects. So um, I feel like if he's set on it, it's probably going to be that way to start the year. But I, I do – my preference, like Job, would be to be somewhat conventional. Um, One more thing. I was actually looking at this earlier. Do the Red Sox – are they projected to face many lefty starters this year? Not really. I mean, I can't think about any yeah. good lefties that are, especially in our division, there's not that many good left-handed. Exactly. Teams. And then the AL, uh, the uh, NL East is kind of the same way. It's right-handed dominant. Do we face them again? I think we have a West Coast swing this no, year. No, we, we, but we, we have the NL East uh, primarily this year. Good, because there's, there's some strong pitching in there, but mostly right-handed pitchers, you're correct. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of any stud lefties that, that really come out of that division. There's a lot of stud right-handed pitchers. You're going to be facing some good yeah. pitching, but mostly from the right-hand side. I mean, I think the best pitcher in that division is probably Scherzer, but you have Syndergaard, DeGrom. You've got – name name that right-handed pitcher from the Braves. They're all <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and then the, the best lefty that you're going to face, I think, from that division is probably Charlie Morton. You know, I think he's the only one that comes to mind as far as a strong left-handed pitcher. Um, top of the rotation guy from that division. In our division, I can't think of any left-handed pitchers that really scare me. Can, can you, Terry? Well, no, I, I can't. But <laughs> but I still am worried about the bullpen and, and late in the games. You know when we're playing matchups and whatnot. So I, I, <laughs> I mean that that's how I look at it, and that's why I like the traditional right, left, right, left, especially with the three hitters thing. I think it really does make a big difference when the guy comes in to close the eighth inning if he has to face three righties or if he has to face you know one, one, one. Um, hmm. Especially if if those three are Devers, JD, and Xander. I think it's much harder to do that when you have to throw a guy out there to face you know some strong bats for both sides of the plate. I'm not talking about the bottom of the order. I think, you know, Renfro, no one's pitching around Hunter Renfro. I don't care how many home runs he hits this season. No one's pitching around Hunter Renfro. They'll attack him no matter what. But the middle of our order, you know, the power guys in our order are all right-handed bats. That's kind of our thing now. Uh, Most of our good hitters are right-handed. We have Xander. We have JD. Christian Vasquez is going to be somewhere in the top seven or or six in the order. They're all right-handed bats. So I think... You're looking at a situation where if you do it your way, Andrew, you end up with two lefties, two righties, two lefties, and a, and a righty at the bottom. And that could be problematic when it comes to exposing the bottom of our order to some of these pitchers who can only face one side of the plate. Well, and you, you're you not going to want a lefty in the nine hole at that point because then you got three of them in a row. So there's, exactly. there's complications so, on that end. So, um I guess we'll we'll see how it develops uh, as we go, but it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, Benintendi was a surefire two hole guy, much like Pedroia was, and and then he falls off the map, and then he gets traded. So this oh, that's how I look at Verdugo, though. I think Verdugo is that guy. Verdugo said, "I don't care about launch angle. 
I'm just going to do my thing. The hitting coach isn't going to ruin me. I'm going to slap the ball over the field. If the power comes, it comes. To me, that's like ideal two-hole hitter. Right. You know, it's like you want a guy on base in front of J.D. Martinez and in front of Xander Bogarts. That's like ideal. Um, if he's leading off, I, d- I don't hate it. But then I think you have a lot of questions about the two-hole. Unless you move Xander to the two-hole and then you go Verdugo, Xander, Devers in the top three and then J.D. and Vazquez, I guess, would be your your four or five or your five, six. Um, that would be kind of miserable to not have J.D. get some protection. You know, I think... You really don't have a choice in in the matter if you want to optimize the lineup if you're not going to hit Verdugo second. It's upsetting. I'm upset about this. If you guys can't tell, I'm like <laughs> I've already thought about different lineup combinations, and I'm I'm not happy the way things are turning out already. Well, all right. I mean, that's going to be kind of open to interpretation as the spring continues. And I think in this coming week, we're going to start to see some pitchers get stretched out, maybe an extra inning or two. Um, The other news of note of the day actually comes from the Yankees. Aaron Boone, 47 years old, will have a, has had, I guess, a pacemaker put in. So, um, Kind of, kind of stunning there. I know Cora um, had a lot of comments because they work together at ESPN. They're, despite the rivalry, very good friends. So, and John Lester, you know, he had his thyroid uh, removed mm-hmm. today um, at 37 years old, and he's expected to be back in camp in in 10 days, I think. So they don't think it's too serious based on what they have, but with his background and the fact that he had lymphoma. You know, we, we hope everything comes out well with him as well, right? Yeah, he's expected to be back within 10 days. So if all goes well, he'll still be ready. He won't be the opening day starter regardless, but he'll uh, he'll still make his first turn through that rotation. So, well, all right. Basically an hour right on the money. That was more action-packed than I thought it would be. And... Um, for the listening audience, we'll probably come back on Sunday to discuss more developments. I'm sure some stuff will uh, unfold and maybe some stuff across the league as well. So enjoy the rest of your week. Take care.